0: Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that better, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friends, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and healthier lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson.
1: Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson, holistic veterinarian and owner of Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center located in Chicago's northwest suburbs. Dr. Carlson's quotes appear in dozens of publications you can find on the internet, including MarthaStewart.com, PetMD, Rover.com and many others. Dr. Carlson practices a blend of Eastern and Western medicine, customizes treatments for every animal that comes in here. And we'd love to hear from you today, 866-472-5788. And you can also reach us by email, holisticbedadvice at gmail.com. Today, we're here to inform pet owners of issues facing their pets, trends in the industry, new treatments you might not know about that can help you and your pet. We encourage you to discuss any of these issues with your own veterinarian or even track down Dr. Carlson on Facebook. Awesome Woo Woo, Holistic Vet Advice is our page name. You can get in touch with us uh, to talk about your pet's care, find out more about our holistic program, and discover some of our favorite treats, foods, products, things that we really like. One of the big products that's going right now is probiotics, and they're a big, huge trend obviously in human health care and in pet care. People are spending billions on probiotics that promise relief or immunity from a number of issues. So it's no question gut health is super important. But how do you know probiotics are effective? And are they all made the same? The top rated probiotic for pets on the market is Nom Nom, a company that has a super cute name and creates probiotics and small batch foods for pet owners. They also have all the scientists behind the probiotics and have built their company on the latest scientific findings, including the use of DNA to determine pets' needs for probiotics. Dr. Ryan Honaker is a microbiologist for Nom Nom and joins us this morning from sunny California. Dr. Honaker, you're behind the top probiotic on the market. Describe the process it takes to create a probiotic that good.
2: Hi, good morning, and thank you for the uh, the great introduction. So our approach as a company, and um, specifically as well in the R&D department which, in which I work, is that we look at all of the current findings and knowledge that are on the market. So, for example, for the probiotics that we have formulated to date, um, and there, there will be more coming for sure, um, we did an exhaustive liter- literature search. So I and other microbiologists, other scientists, combed through all of the published literature about probiotics. So looking what's out there, what strains, what species, um, what works, what's having an effect. Um, and from that, you know, what doses seem to be more uh, important than other doses? Um, just the entire um, scientific literature on probiotics, probiotics. And from that, then we picked kind of, we had some kind of complicated um, decision trees and rubrics that we used. And from that, we, did, we picked the formulations that we um, arrived at. Uh, the other interesting thing that I think we're doing is that um, we are testing that the bugs are actually viable. Um, in the probiotics, so this is something that across probiotics is not necessarily um, very uh, frequently done um, because they're regulated as supplements, not as medicines. There's a lot more leeway that can go into the process. So um, we we frequently test these to show that they're that um, the products have longevity, that they're still viable, they're still viable strains that are in the in them over time to make sure that you know customers are getting what they pay for, which is not always the case in probiotics. Um, and we're also doing even additional levels after that where we're we're running internally um, in con- conjunction with our customers um, clinical-style trials on our probiotics to show that they actually are having an effect and the um, effect that we are hoping that they have.
1: Okay.
3: That's awesome. Dr. Honaker, how many strains of probiotics are there? And uh, I guess starting off with dogs, which ones are most important to dog owners? So, yeah, it's
2: an interesting question. Um, and it kind of points at some of the limitations until recently, kind of in microbiology in general. So if you remember back to, you know, biology class, there's all there's in taxonomy, which is kind of the way that we think about organizing life into different buckets, right? And so most people are familiar with genus and species. Um, So Mm -hmm. for example, E. coli is a genus and species of bacterium. Um, Mm -hmm. But past that, it goes into strain. So strains are kind of, you know, E. coli, but different numbers of E. coli. Mm. Or different names of coli, so it's kind of a finer, a more kind of a more granular level of um, of taxonomy of kind of organizing life. And so, with probiotics, it's um, and so in general, it's been difficult, kind of somewhat difficult, especially in microbiology for various technical reasons to really tell the differences between strains. Um, and so, strain level organization, and especially in probiotics, has been very difficult. In fact, there's kind of a, a big movement right now to Restructure the entire part of the bacteriological family tree in which many probiotic strains, um, the lactic acid bacteria specifically, which is something many people probably have heard of, that's kind of being reorganized right now because a lot of these things are based on sort of old, old types of biochemical identification of organisms. And now that we have you know genomics and DNA sequencing of organisms, things are not quite as clear-cut and as neat as we thought they were before we were able to look at it that way. So it's a little bit of a Wild West right now. There's lots of errors in the literature. Things are being kind of reformulated, reorganized right now. So there are, So that's the, the long answer. The short answer is there's lots and nobody even knows exactly how many and even how yeah. to define a strain from a species, from, from a genus. Um, that being mm-hmm. said, there are a bunch of strains that are of um, particular um, interest which have, been, have, have had a lot of studies done on them. Um, so these are, you know, again, a bunch of different lactobacillus um, strains um, and, and some other, most of them kind of fall in this, in this family. There's a couple of yeasts that are also kind of have been important as probiotics. Um, so probiotics don't have to just be bacteria. There's definitely some, some information um, in the literature about yeast strains. I also think that there will be um, some viral strains, um, some viral species that will be important as well as we kind of start to understand that space a little bit better. So it's it's definitely a, a very quickly moving um moving target.
1: Okay. Which um strains like are important to dog and cat owners? Like if they're looking at a bottle of probiotics, what are some words that would stand out to them?
2: So um Yeah, definitely. um, It's something that is worth looking at um, as you are shopping. And honestly, people ask me, you know, how do you, it's funny because, you know, being as involved in this as I am, I actually now am convinced that taking probiotics myself is a good idea. And so um, my wife has been asking me, well, what, what strains we like, what, what should we buy? And it's hard for me to know even. So, you know, I know the strains that I want just because I've read all the literature but you know mm-hmm. finding a company that does things that where they do testing I think is important so if you can find on the bottle that they actually are testing the viability um, to show because what's been shown there's been studies done on this where you know it will say you know ten billion CFU per gram so CFU is a colony forming unit it's the a, kind of a basic way that we enumerate um, how many bacteria are in a probiotic um, but that dose that is not necessarily always that dose. So over time, these are live organisms. So they've been freeze dried. Generally they've been freeze dried or sometimes there's different treatment methods to keep them viable. But over time, Mm -hmm. um, they're live organisms that eventually will start to die. So that's one thing that people can keep an eye open for is what the dose is. And if the dose has, has been tested, if there's any stability testing kind of done on it, aside from that, it's a bunch of strains that you are probably familiar with from, if you know, know much about fermented food or yogurt. So, um, Bacterial names like lactobacillus, and then there, which is the genus. There's a bunch of different um, species: acidophilus, animalis, um, things like that. Um, another common one is lacto, is uh, sorry, is bifidobacterium. So there's a couple of different um, species within that genus that have shown to be important, as well as uh, enterococcus. Um, those are. Most of the kind of the main broader um, genera that are used, there is also, as I mentioned, a a yeast strain that is becoming increasingly common um, in pets, which is called Saccharomyces volardii. Um, So these are kind of, you know, big, big, scary sounding words, but they're just very friendly bacteria that have really (laughs) co-evolved with us for a long time.
1: How do you get started giving your pet something like this? Because, you know, a lot of people worry that there can be some side effects that are kind of unpleasant.
2: Yeah, so um, all of the um, the, the uh, bacterial strains that are included in the probiotics are approved for safety. Um, generally, in pets, it's approved by an organization called AFCO, AAFCO. It's the um, it's like a it's a feed organization for for pet food. So everything that goes in um, needs to be tested for safety, um, and there are very very few side effects of probiotics that are that are known. I mean, there's you know always some bizarre kind of outliers, but they're generally considered. Very, very safe to take. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Again, and, and, and another thing that people can look for are um, are what are called prebiotics. So these are mm-hmm. um, fibers primarily that are uh, f- that are not digestible by us, but are fermented by the gut bacteria. So um, this is one of the reasons that fibers are so good for us because they feed um, specific parts of our gut microbiome and help them produce things that are um, that are beneficial to us. So inclusion of those. Um, prebiotics with the probiotic is actually a type of probiotic or type of product called a symbiotic, meaning that it has both probiotics and prebiotics. So there's there's some some literature about, about fibers as well in, in pets. Uh Again, like all of this, this is, it's the, the human um, research in this space is definitely far ahead of pets um, and it's moving very, very quickly. There's a lot of every day, there's something really interesting that's happening kind of in this nutrition microbiome, prebiotic, probiotic space. The pet um part of it is a little bit lagging behind, but um, there's a lot of good work being done on that, and we're doing you know what we can as well to help catch that up with the what's going on in the human space.
3: Yeah, there's a lot it seems like there's a lot more science to it than just a blanket probiotic, you know, really maybe at first going with something more general and then uh, getting more advanced, I suppose when we're talking about specific pet health problems yeah exactly.
2: I mean, there are definitely you know sort of the the way we've approached it is um and and a lot of people as well is sort of you know there are sort of broadly beneficial things, so kind of like a full spectrum sort of probiotic, which is generally good for you know anti inflammation and protecting from an in- infection thing that you know benefits like that. But then there are increasingly kind of more specific targeted blends that are that are coming out as the research advances so mm. you know for example, we have a product that's that's specific for um, dogs with GI conditions because there's enough literature that we felt like we could then actually split a, split apart. Um, split oh, into that's a, good. Specific,
1: yeah. a specific. Yeah. What about skin? Do you have anything going for that?
2: Not um, as skin? a specific targeted one, not yet. Um, it's definitely something that, that we're working on. But um, yeah, skin and coat. But I mean, some of these broad spectrum ones have systemic effects as as well. Um, but, yeah, we don't have – but, we are, yeah, we are definitely working on some other m- more specific um, targeted products right now as as the research is advancing.
1: Okay. So you guys offer a gut health test. So if I bring my dog to the vet and there are, you know, a few things going on that maybe conventional medicine doesn't cover, a gut health test could help them?
2: Yeah. So the, the, the gut health test um, – and the, this is, is pretty interesting, I think. Um, this takes – uh, we send a kit out, which contains um some vials and some sampling materials. You take a, a small stool sample from from your pet, um, put it in this preservation vial and send it um, in to get sequenced. And so, um, what we're doing is we're sequencing all of the bacteria that are present in in the in the pet stool. So, pet's, mm-hmm. the stool is a good non-invasive sort of snapshot of what's happening in the gut in general. Um, And so from this, we then get a a, a, a microbiological profile of all the organisms that that are there. And so then on our end, then we build this into, so it's just a huge, huge amount of data. We're doing very cutting-edge types of sequencing um, at at NomNom right now. So we get a huge amount of data, and we kind of distill this into some comparisons and things to help people sort of understand what's going on. So the the gut microbiome can change over time. Um, It's very responsive to interventions such as food and nutrition as as um, you would kind of imagine makes sense. So we can compare that to, you know, other healthy pets. And, you know, we're building out some functionality in the report to be compared to things that we also know that are important drivers of microbial composition, things like, you know, pet so size. So like you're,
1: you're kind of determining weight. chronic health issues from the gut, correct?
2: Yeah, that's the idea. that We're looking at, yeah, looking at what, because the, the gut microbiome has been tied um, in humans and in pets to, you know, any type of, health issue you can imagine. So obvious things like, you know, gut problems and gut inflammation, things, you know, chronic diarrhea, vomiting, things like that. Um, but also things like behavioral issues and mood and um, even different types of cancer progression. So the gut, the gut microbiome is really, I mean, I think the, uh, way, the best way that I think about it is kind of like a, an independent organ. So it's this huge conglomeration of, of cells that are all working together and are all interacted and have direct interaction with us. And so you can imagine if this goes wrong, it interacts with our, our system in so many ways that if things kind of get out of skew or out of whack, then they can be a, a, a wide variety of downstream health um, impacts. And so, Just to, to general, elaborate on really- that
1: a little bit, you had uh, one particular thing in the gut that could be a problem, right, Jim?
3: Right, because um, you know, a lot of clients that come in would say that my pet has been on a really heavier grain diet I really want to switch them to a better diet because they've either had chronic skin issues or something like that uh, how do you describe that to them um, in terms do I start with a probiotic first or end and the diet or how do you tune the gut up and get it ready
2: yeah so it's it's, it's I mean it's, it's hard to know what exactly is the driving and this is what we're exactly the types of things we're trying to find out right? I mean food sensitivity and food allergies as you know you, as you know i mean i 'm not yeah. clinician, I'm a clinician i 'm just a humble microbiologist, but those are two very <laughs> common complaints, and definitely yeah. you know some of people we are enriched in our customers for, for for people who come in with having had previous nutritional issues looking for you know a higher quality less processed types of food which can which can help with allergy but it's it's difficult to say, and there's so much inter individual variability between microbiomes and between pets, and then you lay that over with um, know genetic predispositions and epigenetics and there's you know environment there's it's a very very complicated picture so that being mm-hmm. said that this is exactly the type of thing that we're really trying to figure out by doing this I mean the more data that we collect the more we the more sense we can make of the data and the more intelligently intelligently we can recommend interventions that are appropriate um,
3: mm-hmm. right but you know especially I think there, like there, for there, hypothyroidism you know you get a lot of potential yeast in the gut and then of course, that produces toxins. You get a slowdown in the brain, uh, contributes to fatigue. And uh, so that's where a probiotic, I think, would really be beneficial.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, the way I think about it is it, it, it's always worth trying, right? I mean, there's, right. There, there are no real, there's no bad side effects. And even if it's not addressing the exact thing that you're interested in, it's probably helping in some other ways anyway. So it, it's always, it, it's an easy Thing to try to try first mm-hmm. with no, with kind of no bad effects. So mm-hmm. one thing that's yeah. kind of interesting that's emerging is that it seems like you know they, it works. You know sometimes probiotics work for people and sometimes don't. And it's the real interesting question is well why is that? Um, and what it seems that to be ha- happening is that depending on sort of the baseline composition of the microbiome, sometimes a specific probiotic blend will um, be effective and sometimes it won't. Just they depending on kind of what's already there. So the way I kind of think about it is kind of from an ecological perspective of you have, you know, you have a plot of rainforest, which is kind of like the microbiome. There's all these different species that are interacting in this very complicated pl- way, interplay, and all of the ecological niches are filled. And so if you wanted to go in and plant something else, or then it, it's hard for something else to take hold there. But if Mm -hmm. things are a little bit, if there's a fire or a disease or something, then all of a sudden that whole ecological system can change. Um, It turns out the microbiome is is relatively um, stable. And so after something bad happens, eventually, most of the time, it will kind of go back to normal. But if you can imagine, you know, if there's a fire that runs through an ecosystem, what grows back is probably not going to be exactly what was there before. And so this is, mm-hmm. but depending yeah. on what grows back there, it may be difficult to kind of reinsert the things that need to be there. And so sometimes it will work and sometimes it's not. But I think this mm-hmm. is a really exciting part about it because the whole concept of sort of precision nutrition and precision um treatment becomes a real option which with what is called the companion diagnostic so you would take a snapshot of the gut figure out oh it looks like this is the right product based on what's there and so kind of you know as the research goes further and further and we can split out these these types these formulations into more and more targeted approaches then a real precision sort of treatment becomes an option and that's you know that's where the field is is moving and that's where we're moving as well.
1: So, you know, like the fire you're talking about that kind of like, you know, rips through something, you're always going to have, you know, some, some fallback from that. So that could even be like an antibiotic. And like, we always provide uh, owners with um, probiotics every time we hand out antibiotics here. And, you know, it's a fact of life, you are going to use them. So you should try to maintain some kind of gut health, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, pre- antibiotics are the exact perfect um, analogy for a fire sweeping through. I mean, that's by design. They're not targeted. They're kind of a carpet bomb, and they'll kill many, many of the bacteria that are there. Which is not to say, absolutely, like when when there's an infection, an antibiotic is is absolutely necessary. But you know, taking there's there's great literature on taking um, uh, probiotics concomitant at the same time as um, taking probiotics with antibiotics to reduce. Um, you know, near-term effects like uh, antibiotic-associated diarrhea and gastroenteritis, but as well as longer-term effects and restoration of the microbiome. So that's I'm, I'm glad you guys do that, and I definitely recommend that. I think it's also keep in mind that you know antibiotics are are very frequently over-prescribed in human and in veterinary medicine, um, and a lot mm-hmm. of times because people need it or you know it's kind of a customer-practitioner uh, interaction. Um, and so you know, I think it's always important to try and take antibiotics only when they're needed. Um, and, you know, that's obviously up to the clinician's uh, determination, but I think that's sure. an important thing because yeah. there, there, there can definitely be some damage that's done to the ecosystem by doing that.
1: Yeah. And you don't feel all that great during that time when you're kind of recovering from antibiotics. And if you're not, you know, like really able to take care of yourself as well sometimes. So, oh yeah. Impactful. yeah. I mean, I think
2: every, every, everybody's taken antibiotics and knows how, how, Crappy, you feel after, during, and after, right? So it makes sense. And I mean, our pets are, it's like insult to injury. You're already sick, and then you're having to take this thing, which is making you sicker for a while, probably. I mean, yeah, Mm -hmm. granted, it was probably, you know, it's attenuating your illness and. Possibly saving your life, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, you're not feeling great during it.
1: (laughs) It's like they're great, and then there's this downside. So, um, and then just tell us a little about the foods. Are you putting probiotics in the nom nom foods? Can you just tell us a little about what nom nom is as far as food goes? Because I've seen the pictures on the internet, and you know, the nom nom food compared to, um, you know, other marketed fresh type foods it's a really huge difference it looks like something you could eat yourself
2: so yeah it's funny because i actually have eaten all of the recipes um <laughs> <laughs>
3: awesome good so
2: that's, that's one of the differences um yeah in the early days there's when we were doing some testing and so i was you know i brought some home and i was blending it in our blender and my wife came home and was like what like what are you doing you're blending dog food in our in our blender in our kitchen like Well, it's no, it's just food. It's not, you know, your wife
1: suffers a lot from (laughs) your,
2: (laughs) yeah, I I mean, yeah, I want to, yeah, I worked on tuberculosis when I was in grad school. So (laughs) (laughs) we should not bring that home. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So so the the foods, yeah. Are you
1: putting probiotics in there?
2: We're not putting probiotics in the food, um, right now for a a few reasons. Um, one is it's hard. So our food is, is fresh food, real ingredients, whole foods, um, it's all, everything is designed. We have a veterinary nutritionist, Dr. Justin Smallberg, who's kind of known in the, in that, um, the nutrition space. He's formulated all the recipes, and they undergo regular testing, so they are exactly fitting up-to-the-date current thinking on, in food science and nutrition. So I think it's important for people to realize that food science is, is science, and nutrition is a science. It's not a matter of opinion. There are very, and yet, as you know, science changes, as we learn more, and so there's things that, things that may change over time, but I think it's important to think of it as a science, and that's kind of the whole foundation of the company was you doing everything according to the best human knowledge at the time. So, you know, mm-hmm. Justin formulates all of the recipes that we have. They're full of whole ingredients, and they're very well rounded and perfectly nutritionally sound, according to you know nutrition science. So, adding probiotics. So it's it looks yeah. And if you if you look at the food, and we can certainly send you guys some as well. Um, it's it's. Whole food, it's ingredients that you can see and tell what they are, but it's, it's a wet food. And so, keeping probiotics alive mm. in the wet food is something that's a little complicated, right? And so, we, oh. we sell it as a powder that you can then mix in with the food. Oh, that's cool. Um, and you, know, you don't have to be one of our, our customers to, to, to buy our probiotics, of course. Like anyone, anyone can, mm-hmm. can, can get a hold of them. But that, that's, that's one of the reasons we're not adding them to, just because we, we think they should be alive and stable. Um, and it's, just,
3: it's a hard format to do that in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I love that idea. Just that that you're able to eat it. I mean, it, dog food should be just as fresh as our food, and and um, you know we think of dog food as well waste products and things like that, but it's it's not that way.
2: Yeah, I mean, we kibble front. is a pretty recent invention, right? I mean, our dogs yeah. ate the same food that we ate up until commercial dog food happened, which I think was, I don't know, in the 50s or something like that. So they, they co-evolved to eat the same food as we did. I mean, they're, they're not wolves. They're these co-evolved mm-hmm. um, you know, pets, um, pets that we yeah. co-evolved with eating the same food, sharing the same environment. And so it would make sense that they have, you know, they, there's nutritional similarities. There certainly are some things that are different with, with dogs yeah. um, as well as with specifically even more so with cats. But yes, I mean, feeding them high quality food for all the same reasons, that processed foods and, you know, fillers, all of these low quality ingredients are bad for people. All, they're, they're bad for pets in exactly the same ways.
1: Yeah, yeah, just maybe manifest itself a little bit differently here and there. Well, Ryan Honaker, doctor, we are so glad you joined us today. Glad to know what this company is about. I've seen the cute name and just wanted to kind of get to know who you were, and I was really surprised to see what quality products you guys have. So uh, interesting to hear from you today. Thank you very much for being with us. Very
2: impressed. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you both so much.
1: You're You're welcome. Thank you. All right, so um moving from probiotics, today we're gonna go to the feline grimace scale. Now, this you know, we see a lot of cats in our practice that go without health care until it's too late because you know, people just have this feeling that cats are just really independent and they don't need anything, right?
3: Right. And they're they're really you know, they have more independence obviously because you have a litter pan and you you can leave some food for them mm-hmm. or a dog and they don't have mm-hmm. to be let outside. But They really do require a lot of care.
1: Yeah, it's very common in veterinary medicine to see cats come in that are, you know, far too gone, too far gone, and nobody actually noticed. Cats are very good at pretending things are okay, being independent, hiding pain, but a new pain scale aimed at just at cats can help an owner or a veterinary team quickly assess their cat's pain levels. It's called the feline grimace scale. It's really genius to think this one up because it's very simple.
3: Yeah, it sure is. We use the feline acute pain scale in the office, and that has four levels. It also involves some reading and longer assessment by the owner to understand where their cat is on the pain scale. Uh, but the grimace scale can definitely help you look up at a cat's face and see what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep, you just
1: have to look at this little chart, which I put on our awesome woo woo-woo Holistic Vet Advice Uh, Facebook page and um, when you see this it's uh, very interesting Um, there are three pictures one two and three and it can kind of tell you between whisker position ear position eyes head and muzzle tension and I mean it sounds like a lot of different factors but between those factors it can tell you how painful your cat actually is so it's super simple Um, something that we have added to our Facebook page again that you guys can look at and you know you might want to like put this in your binder of medical information so it's something you have if you have a cat. Or if you've got a cat that's kind of on the edge, getting older, you think something might be going on, this is a good thing maybe to put on your fridge for your family to look at. Um, and it's just very interesting that someone actually thought of this. It's a much simpler way of being able to look at a picture and say that cat is sick, or that cat maybe isn't doing so well. So there's like a small, medium, large version here of how bad it is. And uh, this is actually, I think, really genius. It comes from the University of Montreal. I
3: love it. Mm -hmm.
1: Very good. So, um, we will also discuss when we come back, ovaries sparing spay, a surgery that spares a female dog's ovaries while removing the other organs, and um, this is a partial pay procedure that Dr. Carlson has performed for many years on many pets, and foundation is behind several healthful alternative practices for dogs and cats, and we'll talk to the Parsimus Foundation in our second half hour coming up. Also, there's uh, more stuff coming up uh, that we'll talk about, lumps and bumps, and there are plenty of your questions today listener questions i should say so we will talk about what to do if you're allergic to your cats we'll be right back
2: become our friend on
3: facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
1: check us out today you're sure to find something of interest voice america variety talk on today's hot topics
2: are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports
0: The Internet's number 1 talk station. Number 1 talk station. Voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to HolisticVetAdvice at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program.
1: That's cute. I see someone's been barking in our new uh, promo. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We'd love to hear from you today at 866-472-5788. You can also reach out to us by email, holisticfedadvice at gmail.com. We're here today to just kind of discuss things uh, that pet owners might be facing, trends in the industry, new treatments that you might not know about that can help your pet. So... You know, what we're talking about isn't really specific advice for just your pet or anything, but if you would like some, you can certainly track down Dr. Carlson, RiversideAnimalClinic.net. He's on Facebook. We have our awesome WooWoo Woo, Holistic Vet Advice Facebook page as well. Um, we talked a little bit about what's coming up next, and that's a ovary sparing spay. It's a surgery that spares a female dog's ovaries while removing the other organs that you know, have kind of a nuisance uh, cycle to them. So um, the Parsimus Foundation is a group dedicated to alternatives in health for humans and pets. The Parsimus Foundation works to create meaningful improvements in human and animal health and welfare by advancing innovative and neglected medical research. Rather than having small studies like just disappear into medical literature, the Parsimus Foundation gives them life by promoting their usefulness. Dr. Linda Brent is the Executive Director of the Parsimus Foundation, and she joins us now. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, that's awesome. So, we've been spaying and neutering dogs for years, why all the concern now
4: well you know it 's interesting um, to think about the issue of spaying and neutering dogs um, from a historical perspective because really it hasn 't been that long since that 's been the standard in fact, you know pet overpopulation didn 't really become much of a problem until maybe the 1960s and it wasn 't until the 1970s that spay neuter clinics popped up and and we started really addressing this issue of pet overpopulation and um today, it's, you know, there's laws in almost all states about spaying and neutering your pet, and, um, and the number of animals in shelters has dropped quite a bit to the point where some areas of the country don't even have animals to adopt out anymore, and they bring animals in from different states or even different countries. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, a big uh, a change over time. And it's given an opportunity to veterinary researchers to study the effects of spay and neuter on, on dogs, especially. Um, and so all of that research has just started coming maybe um, in, you know, mostly in the last 10 years. So we're really just starting to understand the implications of of what it means to Take those natural hormones away. And spaying and neutering is basically removing the reproductive organs um, um, so that there aren't any natural hormones. And it's called gonadectomy. So if I say gonadectomy, then we're <laughs> sure. on the same page.
1: Sure, sure. Got it. Um, so it's interesting that it took a while for everyone to be really concerned that this has an impact on animals. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we are now seeing ovary sparing spay and breeder contracts. We're seeing it in, you know, large breed discussion groups, people Mm -hmm. coming in saying, hey, what am I doing here about spaying this pet so early? There are still shelters that want to do it even before the animal is adopted as a puppy. So, you could be spaying or neutering an animal at eight weeks old.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a Very early spay.
1: It's a very,
4: it's still a very controversial issue. Um, you know, the, the first publications that started coming out, really questioning um, the age at which animals should be spayed or neutered, was just you know ten years ago, um, fifteen years ago, and so, uh, it, it, and caused a lot of controversy at the time, as you guys are aware. That um, mm-hmm. people are concerned that if you start to question those issues, then the animal doesn't become. Um, sterilized, and then you—the cycle of um, over overpopulation of dogs, especially, um, continues. So there's that that fear, and it still remains. I mean, I have two re- dogs that I got from the pound, and they're both—they were both without without me being able to have any say in it. They both had to be um, castrated when they were young.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what are some of the health problems that are related to spay and neuter early?
4: Yeah. The the Health problems are pretty diverse, um, and I'll say up front, and I'll, I'll try to emphasize this throughout, it, it, every dog is different, um, and these issues vary based on the breed you have, the size of the dog, when it was neutered, um, everything. So there's lots of, um, it isn't across the board, you can't say if the, if the dog gets, neutered, it's going to have these issues. But these are some of the concerns and the risks. Um, obesity and urinary incontinence are ones we've kind of all heard about, I think, for quite a long time. They're very, very mm-hmm. common, um, mm-hmm. especially in females. Um, in, uh, but there's also a whole bunch of immune diseases like um, hypothyroidism, dermatitis, diabetes, things like that. Another set of problems are... Um, Hip dysplasia cranial cruciate ligament um rupture c c l rupture um those are really common, especially in large breed dogs because their um the bone um ends do not fuse properly when they're they have no hormones to have that process go, and they actually become a little bit longer in in structure and it, oh, really? it probably is what's causing some of these issues on their joints yeah oh,
1: um, well Jim, what, Even behavioral
4: what? issues can be a problem as well, and cancer is a huge one. It's very, very common that dogs that are spayed and neutered have a higher um, incidence of all sorts of cancers. In fact, there was a study that just came out just in the last couple of weeks on um, brain tumors and the incidence of being much higher in spayed and neutered dogs as compared to intact dogs.
1: Okay. All right. That's interesting. Um, you no. Know, so, just like looking at the hormones, Jim, can you kind of update us on which hormones um, are protective and why? Like let's start
3: with girl dogs. Well, estrogen is so important because in the in the steroid hormone pathway, uh, it's important in in terms of managing how the food goes into the body. So repartitioning of uh, energy into muscle versus body fat. Um, I feel it's important that it controls you know in, in terms of controlling the cortisol level because when you take the estrogen away there's androgens that um, are, are basically the recipe for estrogen are mm-hmm. transferred to the uh, the next available organ which would be the adrenal glands and then you get a lot of, of byproduct hormones being produced as well and I think that contributes a lot to that water weight gain that the dogs get after oh. after being spayed. Oh, really? And it seems to fall back on to the male dogs as well, testosterone. Mm-hmm. Um, especially at that kind of transition age, around seven years of age, I see a lot of dogs coming in with that, that classic top-heavy appearance. They've lost some muscle to the back mm-hmm. legs. So the they look like legs. a table. Yeah, they have a tabletop appearance. Wow. And then you can you know, kind of see that shelf over the tail, and mm-hmm. rear end area, just over the, the gluteus there. Uh, where they've accumulated a lot of top-heavy fat.
1: And the, that transition is around the time they become a senior pet.
3: Yeah, it seems to be 5 to 10 years old, but or 7 to 10, right in there. But it seems like 5 to 7 is kind of when they start to see it happening. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So what do you do, Dr. Brent, if you want your dog to keep their natural hormones, but you don't want to worry about pregnancies?
4: Well, there definitely are a couple of options. Like you mentioned, ovary sparing spay, which is... A hysterectomy, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's really important that the the veterinarian, experienced veterinarians like yourself, um, are are um, removing the entire uterus. It all has to be removed so that they don't get pyometria, which is um, um, is, is still possible if any of the uterine tissue is re- remains. Um, but it's a it's a pretty standard um, procedure. And then for male dogs, um, they can just have a vasectomy, which is actually not difficult at all to do. <laughs> and so those are procedures that, I mean, we kind of think about in human terms, right? So most people are mm-hmm. familiar with those. Um, another um, a newer um, option, and I think these um, non-surgical options are going to um, grow in in um, popularity in the future, but one that's just in the research stage right now that a publication recently came out is actually just an injection into the epididymis, which um, kills off the epididymal tissue, which is the area that stores the sperm so that they can't store sperm anymore and does nothing um, for hor- to the hormones. The hormones are still there. They just don't pro- the sperm just doesn't come out anymore, and it's a simple yeah. injection. So that's something that we'll be keeping an eye on as well.
1: Yeah. We do get a lot of calls for vasectomy. Yeah. A lot yeah. of them. And we do get a lot of calls for oversparing spay, but there have been, you know, a couple of dogs that have returned with issues. And uh-huh. are they behavioral?
3: The um the only two they had were, were based on false pregnancies and um the one uh patient uh, was a a pit bull terrier and um right after it's probably a month or two later about every month she had a false pregnancy and uh went back in and re- and checked the ovaries and they were cystic um at the time that I inspected them it did not appear that there was any problems but that's the, really the uh only issue I've had there was one smaller dog that had a similar problem but of the many I've done it's only it's been very small percentage of complications
1: mm and you you've been doing them um, from the start, so you were yeah. the first veterinarian around here to do them at all, sure. and he's trained some forefront. other people into the process too. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have an audience all across America here. How do people find somebody who will do this for them?
4: Well, there's two um, good resources. Our website, which is which is called Parsimus dot org, p a r s e m u s dot org. We have a whole bunch of information on. on Um, procedures for males as well as for females, all the pros and cons, all of the actual literature you can pull up and read if you want. And then, most importantly, we have a listing of veterinarians who provide these um, options. Um, Unfortunately, there aren't a lot, Um, so it just depends on where you live. Um, You guys are lucky in Illinois because there's an awful lot of veterinarians that do offer this probably in part because of your influence. Um, but in some areas, there aren't that many, um, and people just need to um, do the best they can to find somebody. There's also a Facebook page on ovary sparing spay and vasectomy. Um, if you oh, just okay. Google that, you'll find it. Um, and that's, a, that's kind of a forum. You can put a question up there and say, hey, I live in so-and-so area. Does anybody have a suggestion for me? The other okay. option is actually just to go to your regular veterinarian, and if they don't provide these options, expose them to the material we have available um, on our website. We also provide video training, and we have um, experts that will offer advice as well over the phone.
1: Oh, that's nice. That's Incredible. good. Mm-hmm. Yep. So anything you need to know after you have this thing done? Well, Any you of definitely these hormone-sparing you know, type procedures? It-
4: it isn't for everybody. Um, you got to keep in mind people. People don't realize they they have in their head that their animal is fixed and it's going to act like a, a neutered spayed or neutered dog. Um, but actually, the hormones are normal. There shouldn't be any change in the behavior of your of your dog, um, hmm. which is definitely a good thing. But if it's a female, it'll go into heat. Right? Its hormones mm-hmm. are still there. It just can't get. She just can't get pregnant.
0: So oh, she okay. still
4: be. Um, in, the males might come around, and so it's important for you, just like if she was um, uh, intact, it would be good for you to keep her inside, keep her contained. Um, if it's a male dog, he still has testosterone, he still will be interested in females. So if you go to the dog oh. park, you know, be aware of that. Um, make sure yeah. your dog is very well trained.
1: Does thing this is, impact, um, like, putting a dog in a daycare or, you know, yeah. something like that?
4: Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. We, we worry so much about intact dogs, but um, lots of people have both intact and, and spayed or neutered dogs, and it just depends on the individual dog. Most dogs are perfectly fine and sociable, and that's how they normally would be um, in a group setting. Um, but you just have to pay attention to your own individual dog, and some dogs may need more training, and maybe some dogs wouldn't, wouldn't work well in a, in a daycare or, or, you know, dog mm-hmm. park type. Setting. It, you just It's all going to vary quite a bit depending on the individual.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you also is have this a right procedure for, for all pet owners?
4: Yeah, I think it depends on the pet owner <laughs> what you expect. Um, you need to make this a priority, right, in your life, that the health of your dog and um, is important to you and that you want to um, manage the, these potential normal behavioral issues. Um, you also need to watch for... Um, Issues when they're older because they still have their reproductive organs. They can still get um, diseases of the reproductive organs, right? Like prostate disease or um, mammary oh, okay. tumors or things like that. So those are usually at a later. We tell most people just you know make sure you're up on all of your um, uh, visits to your veterinarian. Make sure you're for females feel their belly. If you feel anything funny, like lumps or anything, make sure you get them to the vet to have that looked at and removed if if it needs to be. And, of course, you can always, if the male dog has prostate problems, um, which are related to testosterone sometimes, you always can have your dog castrated at a later age. And at least he's had that, you know, long um, number of years of normal hormones to keep his health up, even if you have to castrate when
1: he's older. Oh, okay. So parsimus supports research that would previously have been neglected. How do you guys find all this research and then start (laughs) working with it to benefit society?
4: Yeah, our founder, um, Elaine Listener is an amazing person who's always been um, fighting. She's been real real interested in um, a a huge variety of of medical issues, um, including a lot of uh, things that are related to dogs and cats, and so um, when she finds has found something that seems like, wow, this doesn't seem to be getting any attention, we kind of delve into it, and I'm the executive director, so I implement a lot of that, and it isn't that easy. Um, We're a very small foundation, so we do take donations from the public to help us with some of our programs, and um, we usually fund basic research, kind of the early stage, um, this sounds like a good idea, let's, let's do a study, let's get it published and oh. get the word out, and then we mm-hmm. try to encourage larger foundations and funders to help keep, the, keep that going so that it can wow. be moved along if it needs to or more research be done.
1: Oh, interesting. Um mm-hmm. could you just also I've always wondered where did the word parsimus come from? In the name. <laughs> it's a, it's just <laughs> <a made-up laughs> is that someone's yeah. kitty or <laughs> it doesn't
4: ha- it doesn't mean anything in particular, so
1: Okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I always kinda wondered. So anyway, good. All right. Well, Dr. Linda Brent, thank you. That's been very informative and hopefully people nice. will start, you know, understanding there's more than one way. You know, just because Bob Barker always said it doesn't mean you always have to do it that way, yeah. you know? Yep. Yeah.
4: yeah, there are options out there.
1: So. Sure. All right. Well, thanks again thanks. so much. Thanks for having me. All bye right. Bye. Good. Bye bye. All right. We've got some listener questions today. Uh, does my dog need all year long heartworm treatment or not?
3: They should be on it once a month year round. And the reason I say that it. There's different climates, obviously, that don't have winter. Uh, here in the Midwest, we do have winter. Uh, a valid argument could be, well, there's no mosquitoes in winter time. Mm-hmm. But I recall uh, when we were in our apartment when we first moved here, that I saw a mosquito uh, at the middle of December. So we can't totally rule that out. It a big fat one too. juicy mosquito. So you you can't totally rule that out. But for the few months that maybe we don't see. Parasite issues, we still have to remember that round and hookworm issues are present. So it just gives you a peace of mind. Also, using it once a month, year-round, you have a product guarantee from the manufacturer that produced it to say that if in the event of any break uh, in the parasite uh, protection, that they would pay for the procedure. And I've, I've had a couple of those. Uh, through the years and they did a very great job they paid for the entire treatment
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and you hope not to you hope to be able to avoid that and for our listeners in areas you know like florida the south where it's warm and that kind of thing you definitely want to stay on it
3: definitely Mm -hmm. year-round
1: yeah okay here's the next one my dog is itching it's driving me crazy which you know it is hard to listen to and of course you feel really bad for your animal could it be yeast
3: definitely um, yeast in the, in the bacterial colony in the gut is there, the beneficial bacteria, as we were talking about earlier about probiotics, uh, definitely control the yeast that's in the, in the GI tract. And so if they're on antibiotics, if they've had a, a bout of stress, if they've been on some steroids, uh, that it could lower uh, the immune response that those good bacteria have on the yeast and they can colonize the gut. Mm-hmm. Um, there's yeast on the skin, um, and the big one is Candida. We all heard about Candida.
1: So, animals get Candida?
3: Definitely. They have that strain of Candida. What, what
1: is that? What does that all mean?
3: Well, Candida is, uh, a di- just a different strain of yeast that's present as a normal, what they call commensal on the skin and in the GI tract. And it's supposed to be there. It does have some benefit, but it, when it's not controlled, it's like, um, You know, if you if you didn't have a normal ecosystem, you can have certain populations of animals uh, overtaking an area, and uh, same way with bacteria. So if the bacteria is not controlled, uh, then definitely you could have an issue with that.
1: Okay, all right. The next one, I think I can help you out with because I just wrote an article about this. I'm allergic to my cat. Is there anything that being done to make the cat like bathing or anything that I could do to like dial down these allergic
3: reactions. Yeah, definitely. Um, most people that are allergic to their cats, it has to do with the with the dander and the hair release and then the oil glands called the sebaceous glands. Uh, so if the pet owner is sneezing and experiencing watery eyes, it's because there's a protein in the saliva and sebaceous glands called FEL, so for feline, D1.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, the good news is that not all carry cats carry that. Uh, particular genetic element, and in fact, a lot less cats carry it than others, but when they do, um, it's definitely something that we respond to.
1: Okay, so that's like when somebody handles an animal... And there goes their eyes and, and, okay, all right. So Purina is working on a food right now to reduce FELD1 in saliva and sebaceous glands. And they're reporting right now nearly 50% reduction in that after the PET-A to diet for a few weeks. So this is good news. And then in 2022, there's a company called HypoCat. They are Swiss. They have found uh, a shot that they've developed. And when you give it to the cat or even the dog, I think they're working on that too, it destroys the protein FELD1 in cats. So that completely reduces the protein, takes it out, and you won't be allergic anymore. So Keep a clean-groomed cat in the meantime. Use a HEPA filter on your vacuum cleaner, that kind of thing. And um, just wait for that shot to come out. And that purine of food, that's a pretty good idea. So,
3: It's a great idea.
1: Yeah. Okay, so um, FELD1. The protein. All right, we're going to talk just a little bit about lumps and bumps. It's really, really common concern with pet owners who frequently find small bumps on top of or under the skin on their pets. And sometimes these are just, you know, harmless. Sometimes they're a little bit ugly and sometimes they're a lot more serious. So, yesterday we had a dog in surgery, had three lumps removed. Two of them were just fat, and you Mm -hmm. can tell that pretty much right away, right?
3: Right. Usually a visual on those fatty lumps called lipomas uh, are usually easy to spot. The other ones, um, usually sending them in for histopath is the best uh, way to understand what those are.
1: Mm -hmm. You had Um, a really angry-looking lump you took off this dog's paw, and it was huge, too. I would say, was it about a quarter-sized? And yep. then it had like a center
3: to it that just didn't look right. Yeah, kind of a bloody center. And um, and those are a little bit more disturbing. And, and it's best to know, uh, is that benign? Is it going to come back? You want to know the characteristic of these lumps because it usually means that the lymphatic system has been congested for some reason. And it allowed a toxin to kind of coagulate in one particular area.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's just the body's way of responding to it. Unfortunately, if the toxin is severe enough, Uh, It can mutate the cells in that area and can lead to more serious lumps, uh, especially um, mast cell tumors uh, and even uh, adenocarcinomas, which are uh, more aggressive type tumors that can affect uh, the skin and and also uh, Mm -hmm. get into the body and affect the internal organs as well.
1: The other thing that's uh, good about a histopathology, which is an added expense after surgery, you know, you, you have to pay for this test to go out, and be um, run at a lab. But the other good news about it is it tells you if you got it all, right? If your margins were good. Those are the surgical margins, correct? Explain that.
3: Definitely. Um, You should have at least a two centimeter margin around the growth to ensure that you got all of the the tumor itself. Uh, The histopath is so important because it can tell you microscopically if there's any tumor cells that went beyond the margin and that's particularly important with uh, with malignant tumors because uh, that means that not the entire tumor wasn't wasn't taken or there could be uh, strings of tumor that's gone beyond what you could see.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, also, uh, with benign tumors, it will tell you, is it going to grow back in that area? Okay. So, it's always important. It is a little bit more expensive. but. It's better to be safe than sorry. Mm-hmm, you want to know, yeah. and
1: you know, some people just want these things removed because, like, when you go to touch your dog or pet your dog, and you always have to hit this bump, it's kind of gross.
3: Yeah, and they're 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 kind of insightly, obviously, and um, you know, but uh, fortunately, most of them are benign, uh, more cosmetic uh, than anything else. But uh, they can definitely contribute to skin problems, and uh, especially dogs that need to go to the groomer, it, it's it can be troublesome for the groomer to try to. To uh, groom around those and often can uh, nick those and cause infection.
1: Okay. Should you ever try to pop one?
3: No. It's just like uh, human acne. The urge is to go ahead and try to express it. But <laughs> I would encourage you not to do that. Go to your dermatologist. Or to us, it's the veterinarian. We're the dermatologist. But okay. uh, you know, get it checked out first before you start messing with it. Yeah.
1: What's well, the standard treatment on some of these things? Fine needle aspirate just to see what's in it.
3: Right, you can do a fine aspirate uh, to determine the characteristic. Um, I prefer to do excisional biopsy, just take it out. Uh, and you use laser surgery for that. And I use lasers, mm-hmm. so it ensures a, a clean margin and, uh, and it heals faster. Uh, certainly the, the more benign ones like your warts, uh, adenomas, uh, you can use cryofreeze, which is a very effective method. And uh, it's, it's non-invasive. The pet doesn't have to be anesthetized for that. Uh, and doesn't even really require a, a local injection so mm-hmm.
1: um, what if it's inside the mouth
3: um, then we do have to sedate them uh, for that and, um, and remove it and remove it uh, especially okay. oral tumors uh, are very very important to get those checked out early okay. uh, even of something that's very very small all right
1: yeah. very interesting and super common is it because like they get older and they get that stuff
3: yeah just like people yeah it seems to hit about age really that age five to seven, you know, beyond that, you start to seek more growths and warts and tumors.
1: All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody, today. Have a great day.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening this week to awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. Please join your host, Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson, again next Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now go make some time with your best friend.